All right. If you look at your watches or the 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 clock back there, I, I can. This isn't too much of a prophecy here, but this sermon's not going to be over at noon. Um, so just be prepared for that. But I will say that this sermon is going to be short and sweet. Um, it's going to get directly to the point. And today is part four of a seven-part series. So we're right in the middle. We've, we've gone through three sermons, and we've got three more to look forward to. And I, I chose this series at the time that I did because on September 21st, Elizabeth Talbot will be here and she will be speaking. She'll, she'll have three different meetings for us on the, the 21st. And so I talked with her and she gave me permission to take her book, Revelation, the Fifth Gospel, and to turn it into a sermon series. So I'm, I'm hoping that um, this will get you a little excited for when, when she comes. Um, and also, I just want to remind you that at the end of this series, I will put a copy of this book in each one of your hands so that you can read it over for yourself, do some highlighting. And so with that being said, um, over the last three weeks, we've looked at different themes in the book of Revelation. We, we looked at the theme of Revelation. We also looked at the theme of assurance and last week, we looked at the theme of redemption, all of these themes that are found in the last book of the Bible. And today, we look at the theme of provision, provision. And the sermon is entitled, The Lamb is the Shepherd. Last week, we looked at how the, the, the lamb is the lion. So this, this lamb seems to be a bit of a, a, a shapeshifter. Uh, Jesus wears many hats if you will. And today, I think that we're going to clearly see a picture of Jesus that has brought comfort to countless people in trouble, people who are needing protection and guidance and provision. And we're, we're going to see this beautiful picture of Jesus coming from the pages of the book of Revelation. So if you today are in need of guidance, if you today are in, in need of some leading in your life, I think you're going to get just what you need in today's sermon and maybe a little extra because you'll find a new identity today and you're going to find that you also have something special to wear. So Revelation 7 starts with four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the winds of destruction. Once again, we're, we're speaking in symbolic language here. Um, we, we as Christians, or at, at least I, don't believe in a, a flat earth with four corners. Um, but the symbolism here is, is strong. And then after the sixth seal has been opened in Revelation 6 chapter six, and before the seventh seal is opened, there's an interlude, an interlude, and a fifth angel is seen crying. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads, or maybe your translation says in their foreheads. And so first off, what I see in, in these verses is that God is control 
He's in control of everything. Do you see that? He decides what he allows and when. And it all serves his redeeming purposes. Sometimes we don't always see that, but that is the reality. But what about this seal? A seal or a stamp or a mark is a symbol of ownership, right? A a symbol of ownership. And so God equips an angel with the task of sealing or stamping the servants of God before the last calamities befall this earth. And so this mark, this seal, this stamp, whatever you wanna call it, announces to the entire universe, God saying, this one is mine. This one is mine. It's a symbol of protection. It's a symbol of ownership. And the Greek word for servant or slave in the Greek is doulos, doulos. That's that's the Greek word that's translated there as servant. And this word represents an utter devotion, a total allegiance. And throughout the book of Revelation, God's servants bear his mark of ownership, his mark of protection. You see that in Revelation 7, you see that in Revelation 9, Revelation 14, Revelation 22. This theme keeps popping up over and over through this book. And the seal gives the assurance of salvation to those who trust in his merits. The assurance of salvation. As Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows who are his. He knows who are his. And you know, when I think on those words, from God to me, you are mine. I feel safe. I feel secure. I feel protected and comforted. You know, during the darkest times of your life, claim this promise from God. But now, thus says the Lord, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. That's Isaiah 43.1. So whether you're facing sickness, fear, anxiety, loss, hard times, or even death, there is nothing quite like hearing the creator of the universe say, you are mine. Now, back to Revelation chapter seven. John hears the number of those sealed, right? 144,000. He hears this number, and the sealing of these individuals who represent God's people has increased significance of protection through the trouble of the end times. And you and I are invited to be a part of that group that God calls his own. We're invited to a magnificent celebration. We saw some glimpse of it in the sermon last week. And guess what? We don't even have to worry about what we're gonna wear, right? I know that for for some of us, when we've got a, a big night coming, a big celebration, there's some stress and some anxiety just staring into the closet. What am I gonna wear? What am I gonna wear? Well, at this celebration, you're not going to have to worry about what to wear because it's gonna be provided to you. 
And so in the characteristic style of apocalyptic literature here in this book of Revelation, which I mentioned this briefly last week, John heard the symbolic number of God's people, but then when he looked, he saw something a little different. He sees a scene taking place in heaven after all the tribulations of this earth have ended. And so Revelation 7, 9 says, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. And so the number that he heard is now a great multitude. It swelled to this great multitude that it's too big to count. It's too big to number. And this multitude is not exclusive. This multitude is very inclusive, and this inclusiveness is highlighted by the same fourfold description that we saw from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 a few weeks ago. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Aren't you glad that salvation isn't just kept for one group? That it doesn't matter what your background is or what language you speak or what country you were born in, that you are invited to be a part of this marvelous group. The redeemed are standing before the throne and the lamb, and they are clothed in festive gowns, spotless white robes, spotless white robes. And they've got palm branches, which are symbols of triumph in their hands. Then these perfectly dressed, victorious, spotless, and triumphant people, they unite in crying out with a great, super loud voice, a specific announcement, an announcement regarding how they got here. How did they get to this point? And the word translated great here, it it comes from the Greek word megas, megas. So it's a, a mega shout, a mega voice, that they're crying out with. And they all say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. In other words, we know exactly how we got here. We owe our salvation to God and to the lamb. Without them, we wouldn't have had a chance. In other words, I'm not here because of my actions. I'm not here because of my beliefs. I'm here because of what the lamb did for me and because the father sent the lamb. They get all the credit. I don't need any of it. And then with an almost identical seven-fold praise found in Revelation 5.12, there's a lot of callback, as I've mentioned, between Revelation and itself, but also between Revelation and the Old Testament. All the angels fall prostrate and worship God in awe. And if the angels get super joyful when one sinner repents, like Jesus told us in Luke 15.10, Imagine the type of celebration that's gonna be going on when all of redeemed humanity has now made it to heaven. Just let that sink in. Imagine that celebration. But there's one more clarifying factor here. Now that the universe is aware that salvation doesn't come from mankind itself, This elder appears and he brings John this question. 
a rhetorical question. It's very characteristic of prophetic writing, and Jesus used this a lot. We just talked about this in, in our Sabbath school, rhetorical questions. So this elder asks a question, but he already knows the answer. He asks, who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I, this is John, said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. How else could a fallen human race face a holy God? It's because they've been redeemed, right? It's because they've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. The redeemed whose righteousness was like filthy rags, nothing but filthy rags. They have now clothed themselves with the righteousness of Christ. They had dirty, icky black robes that were dipped in the blood of the lamb and they came out spotless, shining white. By faith in his death, we receive his robe of righteousness. And this theme, this theme that God, through the blood of the lamb, has triumphed on behalf of the human race is once again repeated throughout this final book of the Bible. Revelation 5 talks about it, Revelation 7 here, and also Revelation 19. If you are a believer in Jesus, you must come to believe that God sees you as if you had never sinned because of the merits of his son. If not, you will live your life in utter shame and guilt, and that is definitely not what God has in mind for you throughout eternity. God wants you to have the assurance of salvation, the assurance that provision has been made for you. Do you accept it? Do you accept it? So the saints are now in heaven. They're, they're here in the presence of God and his presence will be with them forevermore. The tabernacle of God is among his people and he will tabernacle with them from now on. We're reminded of the blissful eternal existence of the redeemed with a series of negatives. I find this interesting. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. And you can continue on with your own list, right? No more cancer, no more abuse, no more hate, no more financial problems, no more fear. That's what we have to look forward to. And I also find it quite intriguing if you compare this verse with a verse pulled directly out of the book of Isaiah, the promise given to Isaiah is the same one given to John. Isaiah 49.10 says, They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. Now, what follows in Revelation is the picture of Jesus that gives this sermon its title. Revelation 7, 17. 
for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And a paradoxical and striking expansion, once again, of the role of the lamb. The lamb now becomes the shepherd of the redeemed. Yes, he's a lamb. Yes, he's a lion. But yes, he's also the shepherd. He's provided for their salvation and he will provide whatever else they need, whatever else we need forever and ever. Jesus being the perfect shepherd king was prophesied many times in the Jewish scriptures, especially in the books of Isaiah and Ezekiel and especially in Ezekiel 34. Because in that chapter, the shepherds of Israel were not doing their jobs. And the sheep were scattered, the sheep were hungry, the sheep were lost. So God promised that he himself would take care of the problem and he would go out searching for his sheep. Jesus showed that symbol beautifully in his parable of the lost sheep, right? He would send a descendant of David who would give them rest and feed them. Ezekiel 34, 23, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Jesus who came through the line of David. Jesus that was described now as a shepherd in the book of Revelation. And this is why Jesus himself announced, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. In Revelation chapter seven, we see clearly that the lamb becomes the shepherd. Now, to help us better understand this, we need to know a little bit about sheep, right? Shepherds lead sheep. And so knowing a little more about sheep will maybe give us some insight about how amazing this is and just what Jesus is trying to tell us by saying, I am your shepherd. You know, sheep in general, they're pretty helpless animals, right? They're, they're pretty helpless. They can't instinctively even find food or water. They need protection from predators, and if they go to try to drink water out of a, you know, a, a deep pit, they might fall in and drown. They can't sleep if there are problems, right? I mean, even tensions amongst the other sheep, they can't sleep. Even something as small as bugs irritating them, they can't sleep. Sheep are absolutely and completely dependent on the shepherd to provide everything for them, including a peaceful and quiet place green pastures, fresh water, restful waters, and everything else. The sheep don't know where they are or where they are going. They just follow the shepherd. Are you starting to see some of the symbolism here? Are you in need of guidance today? Are you in need of leading and provision and rest and hope and encouragement and restoration? I know that I have need for all of those things. So I, I, I came up with a, a great idea, and it's similar to the past two weeks, because I'm gonna ask you to fill in some blanks here. Let's see if we can now better fully understand Psalm chapter 23, knowing what sheep are like, knowing what a shepherd's purpose and role is, 
how can we apply Psalm 23 to the shepherd, the shepherd who is the lamb? So once again, I just want you to look at the blanks on the screen and fill in your name. Your name should fill each one of those blanks. So I'm just, I'm just gonna read this and I'm, I'm gonna fill in my name. You fill in yours for yourself. The lamb is TJ Shepherd. TJ shall not want. The lamb makes TJ lie down in green pastures. The lamb leads TJ beside quiet waters. The lamb restores TJ's soul. Did you put your name in there? Remember the shepherd knows what he's doing. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? He provided for your salvation and he will make provision for everything else. Just don't let go of his hand. Don't let go of his hand. And you've got the assurance that you've been provided for and you will be safe forever. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for provision. It's because of your provision that we can be redeemed. It's because we've been redeemed that we can look forward to eternity with you. We don't deserve it, but you give it to us anyways. We couldn't do it on our own, but Jesus came and did it for us. Lord, help us to see ourselves as sheep needing a shepherd. And may we see Jesus as that shepherd. Lord, give us the strength to never let go of your hand. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.